Falcons, I hate you, but I love you. You got, like, you got ice in your veins. I, I know it. I know it. It's right oh, down the middle. Oh, baby. You can't get an ice young way, dude. Not a single soul should think that. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Triple Threat on the Hill. Um, got me, Daniel. Got Sean back. Kelvin and Forte came out to the pod. We got a little special guest here, our friend Tristan, coming out to the pod to talk some World Series. Tristan, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Pretty good, of course. Anytime, anytime. Um, Sean, how you doing? I'm swell. You know how I can't, can't complain too much. AJ Brown caught three. Yeah. Insane touchdowns today. So, um, you know, living life. Living the life. Patriots won. Col- Colts lost, Tristan, unfortunately. Uh, that, yeah, was, that was ugly. Was but that was ugly, man. <laughs> that was tough. Oh, man. The, the, the legend of Taylor Heineke. But I just love how before – Sean and I are going to get to our anecdotes. Got uh, correct survival picks. Then we're going to get into World Series. We, ne- we don't really talk about baseball too much because, because someone, <clears throat> Sean, never wants to talk baseball. But Tristan's a baseball savant. He's a – He's got all, he'll have all the facts for us. We can ask him questions. I could probably hang. I could probably keep up, but I want, I'm really curious to see what he has to say. As a Phillies fan, it'll be fun to talk about. Um, but I love, right now, it's probably like the best the sports can get throughout the calendar year. You got NBA, start of the NBA, you got NFL in midseason swing, uh, college football, um, World Series, and then you'll get the World Cup starting in a little, you know, a little less than a month. Like, if you're a sports fan, this is the best time that, that, uh, could ever have existed um just want to throw that out there but i'll let sean begin quickly with his anecdote um and then we'll move on to world series after i'm done so yesterday according to the sun was it sunday october 30th 923 so yesterday it was saturday and i uh i got to a study abroad program for next semester in ecuador on this podcast you know i've been talking a lot about my spanish class all the l's i've taken in that class um, but we finally got some good news. We got into you know a little study abroad program. Pretty excited. One of the things I had to do was I just took a a placement test to get my classes. So you know this it was a hundred multiple choice questions. It took me like an hour and a half, and it was kind of funny because a lot of it was grammar that I haven't really thought about in the last three years. So I didn't want to get all those questions wrong and then have my placement score be really low because I feel like that'd be not indicative of the Spanish level that I'm at right now. But some of the things like you just don't review um, in higher levels. So I felt like I did I did a little Google Translate for some of some of the questions, you know, because like I, I had to I had to I couldn't like make myself like an idiot because I, I wasn't sure about the difference between like poor y para. <laughs> so I did a little Google Translate and then tells you the score right after you finished. Right. So after cheating for about you know a quarter of the test i got a, like a 70 out of 100 which i'm not sure how good it was i mean some of the questions are really tough i feel like i probably couldn't shouldn't have gotten like a 90 i feel like that'd be too high that'd be not representative of like how good my spanish level is right now but it was pretty funny just seeing a 70 i expected like you know maybe like 75 80 and then i come back to the score i'm like Fuck, like Google Translate didn't work for everyone. <laughs> Shit. So that that was like my funny story for the week. What about you, Daniel? 
Um, no, I quickly just want to say, I, I think it would be very funny. Imagine if 70 is really good. And are you, are you doing a host family? Or yeah, like, yeah. Are you saying, imagine like they give you like the most cracked host family ever. And you're like, shit. <laughs> and you're trying to like figure out how to speak to them. And you're like, oh, I'm a little slow. I'm sorry. It's like, you got a 70 on a placement test. <laughs> I can only imagine if that was actually good. I imagine that's not very good. But not saying that you're bad. I don't like, think it was terrible. I don't think it was great um it was funny for the listening section i actually got all of those right which for the listening section i was least confident about because they spoke really fast and i didn't really understand all of the words that they were using but i just replayed it like a million times each clip because each clip was like 10 seconds so i just replayed it like five times and then eventually i got what they were saying so i clutched on that nice oh well hopefully you'll be able to speak spanish to your host fan that's all i'll say about that um uh, I talk a lot about, I think I've talked before about my job um, at the alumni center here and I always have to deal with alums and it, it's kind of fun like talking to, to them because they have cool stories. This one guy last week, he was on campus and he went to the registrar and he was like, oh, like I'm in the area. I want to sit in on a class. And so they called me or like the office and I answered and I'm like, okay, like send them over here. Like I can help them out. And so he's like, oh, like I really like. I don't know, Beethoven and like all the Beethoven stuff was in spring. So I got also web advisors new. And so I was kind of struggling to go through it because in student planning, like they changed it recently. And so I was kind of like struggling and I, I could tell like the guy was like, like, you go here. Like, why the hell are you so bad at this? <laughs> I was like fumbling. And I was like, all right, all right. Like what other people do you like? He's like, oh, like I like Shakespeare. So I look up Shakespeare and there was this class um, at 2.30 on a Tuesday I'm like, all right, let me email the professor and then like, you can go. And you'll probably, she'll probably let you in. And so he's like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And then like, I got his phone number just to make sure everything was all good. And then the next day I was like, oh, like I should probably follow up with this guy and see if, um, <laughs> you know, if he actually enjoyed it. And so I texted him, hey, I'll read it right now. And I said, basically on the lines of, oh, like, how was it? And he said, <laughs> one word, disappointing. And I was like, bro, like, what, what did I do wrong? Shit, like, did I do something wrong? So then I was like, all right, I should probably text him back. And also, he didn't re recognize that it was my phone number. So like, who, who is, who is this? This guy's like pretty old. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is Daniel. I'm sorry to hear it wasn't great. Um, and I was gonna ask why, but he said, my fault. I didn't know the play, so I was disappointed. I couldn't get more into the class. But the professor and students were nice and welcoming. I don't know what this guy expected, whether he expected the like be Jesus Christ and know how to like talk with all the students and the professor or, or what I don't understand I don't really understand where he was coming from but I did my job so that all, all that really matters but I was kind of confused and I was like did I did I sell like I what do you guys think did I do an okay job I'm not sure well, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> I, I did everything I could they told me to put him in a class I put him in a class I don't know what else I could have done and was that the only class like available I guess uh, he just said he liked Shakespeare, and I found a Shakespeare class. I mean, and, yeah, I think I think you you did your job. Like you did what you could. That's just kind of unfortunate that he said it was disappointing. I feel like it's a little ungrateful, did, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. He's like, I couldn't get. I don't know if I if I were to walk into Tristan. If I were to walk into oh, actually, I I I TA one of your classes. But if I were to walk into one of your theater classes, like I I wouldn't expect to. Um, to be able to participate 90 95% of the time like I don't know what this guy was expecting I was really lost but I don't know that, that, that's all I have to say
I think he tried because, like, let's say you put him in a class that he had no idea what was happening. Like, he never heard about, like, probability theory or something. I think oh, he would find that yeah. so boring. So That's true. At least it was something he was interested in. Yeah. So, I, I think he did an okay job. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. So, not too bad. Not too bad. Usually, we talk about stuff that we're where we sell. But, um... Tristan, you got anything? You get a little friend of friend of the pod. What, what do you got? Ooh, from this week? Yeah. Any, any, we, you don't have to. I, I, we won our basketball practice. game. We won our basketball we game on Thursday. So that was, we, that was fun. That was a good time. We killed them. 35 nothing run. It doesn't get better. It doesn't get a lot better than that. That's for sure. I think it's an IM record. If they, if they have the IM record books hanging on the wall, that's got to be on their largest uh, uncontested run or whatever, whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, no, that play everyone played quite well. We got we got this week, we gotta we gotta continue the win streak, right? Too for so. sure, for sure. Yes, sir. All right. So next I wanted to you know, we, we got a lot of different people that want to listen to this podcast. You know, we got football fans, we got basketball fans, we also probably had some baseball fans. And I think it would be doing an injustice if we didn't talk about the World Series. So like you said, you're a Phillies fan. We got as we're recording this, it's one one in the series. I'm going to leave it open to – I'm not even going to ask a question first. I just want to say how are you feeling after these first two games? Um, you know, what, what's, the, what's the mindset going into game three? Uh, just let me know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think of myself as a baseball fan first and a Phillies fan second. I like to approach it completely unbiased and, and just enjoy the games being played, the talent that's on display before I think about one team or the other. and. I think it's going to be a really exciting series. Two teams that have a really great culture right now. And I think two teams that play really, really well at home. And I think that for the Phillies to be able to steal a game early was really huge. Well, something that they certainly needed to do. Um, and I think the Astros are, are, are a really balanced team that's really good on the road as well. But you can just feel that energy over the last four or five years. And I think the Phillies – you know, when they fight, when they ended up firing Girardi earlier in the year, I was curious what that was going to do to the culture. But Robbie Thompson just picked up right where he left off. And the fan base, the players, the whole organization just seems to be clicking right now on and off the field. And I think it's going to be – that's my first impression. I think it's going to be an amazing rest of the series. I expect it to be a long series, which I'm hoping for. And, um, you know, for me as a – I would I – would, categorize myself as a an anti-analytics baseball fan and to me it does sort of lean on that on that side and represents what I hope to be the death of analytics in the coming years but um, two teams that put the ball in play two teams that get hits in bunches and and really rely on stringing together quality at bats um, to create runs rather than just hit the ball over the fence and I think that especially over the last couple of years as analytics have taken off, we've seen those teams um, really shine in October and especially late in October and really reemphasize the importance of, uh, of old school, small ball baseball. So that's my initial impression of the series as a fan. I'm, I'm really wavering on this one. You know, I think last year um, was an easier pick for me. This one, I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious to see what happens. I don't have a clear, um, a clear choice as to who's going to win. You know, as far as my confidence level, the Phillies are playing their best baseball of 2022, I think, at this very moment. And so 
you know, from that perspective, I'm feeling pretty good. And I think that the culture, like I said, has just taken off since they ended up firing Girardi and since Harper decided to come back and, and continue the rest of the season before he ends up getting Tommy John. So I think culturally they're in a great spot right now. I don't think any team would want to play the Phillies right now. And I do think they pale in comparison to the, the level of talent and the accumulation of talent that the Astros have. But I think late in these, you know, it comes down to five more games. Right. And I think that over the course of a long season, that talent really shines through, but I think culturally um, there's a lot more important aspects and elements to winning these tight games in October. And like I said, it comes down to five games. So that talent, you know, needs to play well for, for them to win the series. And I think some of the more uh, intangible genes and intangible qualities that the Phillies might have could, could end up being the difference in this series. So I, I'm not going to give a pick because um, I'm not sure. And, you know, the Astros are better on paper, but I'm feeling pretty good about the Phillies right now. And whatever the case, if they end up coming away with it or not, I think they had an outstanding season. And, and definitely Phillies fans should have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, no, that's def definitely a lot to unpack. But one thing that you mentioned is the fact that the Phillies stole one in Houston, I think is really important because, like you said, the Phillies play great at home. The atmosphere in Philadelphia is going to be unbelievable. I, I just looked this up a second yeah. ago. The most expensive ticket for game one is located behind home plate, $7,700. The least expensive ticket is $421. It's the hottest, you know, the hottest uh, – the hottest, well, like as Sean said, with the, with the Eagles winning and the Flyers up to a good start, you know, six in uh -huh. But Philadelphia is kind of the sports capital of the world right now. Um, Certainly would be. So it's going to come away with it. Yeah. Yes, that's true. But I will say, obviously, Phillies, they only won 87 games in the regular season. Like going into the postseason, last year, they wouldn't even have made the playoffs. You know, they, they've just caught lightning in a bottle in, way, in a way that I would say we haven't seen in a while, but I mean, the Braves are pretty similar last year as well. They what were they 87, 88. We ended up winning the division, but it was a pretty similar number. They just, like you said, my, my high school coach says this all the time. If you can have pitching, fielding, and timely hitting, you're going to win 90% of the games. And the Phillies, their timely hitting has been enormous in the postseason. And just if you look at game one, they go down 5 nothing, two Kyle Tucker home runs, um, and a Maldonado single. And what do the Phillies do? They just claw away at you. They, they, it's like death, death by a thousand paper cuts. They don't, they don't necessarily rely on a bunch of solo shots. It's get a couple people on. And then, you know, in the NLCS, it was Hoskins. Um, in the World Series, Real Mudo had the home run. He had the diving catch, the game-tying double. Um, so, yeah, winning game one was massive for the Phillies. Um, but with that being said, I kind of agree with you in the sense that the Astros are the better team, but the better team doesn't always win. Um, one through nine, I think they're more talented. Uh, their they're cream of the crop, I think, is a little bit more talented, but I do think the Phillies have great um, talent at the top. But for me, I'm not a Phillies uh, fan, so to, like, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't follow them, but I know the guy, whatever his name is, Stott, started at shortstop in game one, and then they have the other guy who made the error in game two. Is, is Stott the starter, but they switch him depending on which, you know, if there's a lefty or a righty on the – on the mound, is. is that how they, is how they do it? Okay. Exactly. That, yeah, that he's makes a starter, sense. but yeah. with Framber on the mound, they wanted to go to a righty. I think they had seven righties in the lineup and only two lefties, which I was okay. surprised makes to sense. see. Sure, Stott is definitely the starter, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, the Astros are throwing on the colors game three, so mm -hmm. he'll probably be back in the lineup. Um, yeah, he will. 
And then you guys got Thor, Noah Syndergaard, who I didn't even know was on your team starting game three. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, I will say, um, yeah, Valdez is insane. I, you guys could just not touch his curveball. I feel like you guys were off balance all night on the curveball. There's a video of him. I, last year in the ALCS, I thought Valdez had some sticky stuff going on. There's a video going around with him uh, touching his arms and touching everything. Um, I, I mean, Valdez is a great pitcher, so I'm not going to, like, accuse him of cheating or anything. But uh, with I, I want to ask you this. With the new park, with, with the Astros park, very much if you pull a ball down the left field line and you hit it well, it's, it's probably going out. That's probably one of the shortest left field porches in, uh, in all baseball. Philly's park dimensions definitely change, changes the outcome quite a bit. You know, you had the Yankees crying in the ALCS, being like, oh, if the roof was closed, we would have had a home run. Tell me about uh, Citizens Bank Park. Like, how do you think it's going to be a lot colder in Philadelphia than it's going to be than it was in Houston? Uh, how how do you think that might play into into effect? Absolutely, that's a great, that's a very very good point. And the Astros are a team, maybe the best team I've I've ever seen in a long time, um, as far as a balance between contact and power. I mean, for a team to hit that many home runs and strike out the second fewest of any team in the regular season, is is incredible. And and I think that they. Are, have a very diverse offense that can score runs in lots of different ways. If I was an Astros fan or, or supporter, I would definitely not be concerned about that. I think that, like I said, they're very versatile in the ways they can score. And I think that they can come up with, with a lot of um, creation, you know, creating runs in different ways. The Astros to me are again, like one of the best teams I've ever seen as far as creating runs out of nothing. I mean, you saw it in the, in the ALCS, they did it against the Yankees multiple times. Um, they almost did it in game one in, in the ninth inning before Castellanos made the diving play um, scoring runs with two outs. They're one of the best teams I've ever seen at doing that, especially two outs and nobody on base, just stringing together hits, hits, hits. And all of a sudden there's two on the board. I would not be concerned about that if I'm the Astros. They seem like a team that just figures stuff out no matter what the conditions are, no matter what the elements are, no matter what the situation is. And especially now with Dusty Baker, um, I, I would consider him to be top two, maybe even top one manager in the league at this point in time. And and A.J. Hinch as well when he was there. I mean, I definitely don't necessarily wouldn't call myself a fan of, of A.J. Hinch, but I, I got to give him yeah. credit as far as his managerial abilities. But Dusty Baker seems just like a guy that creates a culture of just figure it out. Right. And I think the Astros do that better than any, any other team, right. No matter the conditions, they always play close to their full potential. So yeah, the Phillies, I think are going to benefit tremendously from, like you said, their home field advantage. I think the energy there at citizens bank is, is incredible right now. Um, as far as the weather, I think you make a good point. You know, I think that, the Phillies are certainly, you know, more equipped to deal with that kind of stuff. But like I said, the Astros, you know, they just have experienced guys that know how to get stuff done no matter what's going on around them. So I would not say that it really swings the pendulum either way. Um, it is definitely a bigger park, uh, which I think plays probably to the Astros advantage. Cause I do think the Phillies can be a little bit dependent on, on the long ball at times, but you know, like I said, it's baseball and it's going to come down to moments with, with guys in scoring position and uh, whoever can put the ball in play more, I think is going to come out on top. Yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. I, I reason why I was curious about that is because, you know, obviously the 2017 Astros say what you will, but they won the world, they won their world series, but I'm looking specifically at 2019 and 2021 In 2019, they went into Washington and they won all three games in Washington. 
Mm-hmm. At, whereas in 2021, they, they, they split the first two in Houston, and then they lost the, the next two in Atlanta. And then game five, they were down in the blink of an eye on the Adam Duval Grand Slam. So they did not play very well on the road, which is the reason why they lost that series. I'll be interested to see how they play on the road. Because like you said, they're so experienced, it shouldn't matter. But I look at last year as, as, as something to where, you know, we can compare and say, oh, didn't play well on the road last year. What, like, will they play like well on the road this year? Like, we, 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 you know, we don't know for a fact, but I, I was just curious about that. Um, what else? Um, any, anything else you wanted to, to get into there? Um, no, I, we'll I say that. Yeah, was all, right, all right, all right, let's let Sean jump in. Let's see what, ahead, you, what you can do. Um, I have a couple of questions, but I feel like I'll start with the big one. So it seems like because the Phillies stole game one and the insane comeback, that fans are riding high, you know, your conference, you, you, you think you have a chance to win this series, like a good chance. Well, I think we're overlooking the fact that like the Astros are such a massive favorite in this series. They didn't lose a game in the playoffs before game one. Obviously, they've had like a lot more regular season wins than the Phillies. Um, like, how, how, I know you're a Phillies fan, but what about both of you? Like, what are the chances that we're feeling right now for the Phillies? Like, are they a massive underdog? Are they, have the Astros finally met their match? Well, look, I'll say anytime you come down to the last two teams remaining, I mean, it's going to be somewhat of an even contest, right? Because to get to that point, you know, whatever, however many games you won in the regular season, if you're able to beat three postseason teams en route to the World Series, you're obviously a team that belongs to be there. And, and what I will say also is keep in mind the Phillies played meaningful games, meaningful regular season games up till game 161 or 162 even of the regular season, right? They're accustomed to playing big games and needing big hits in big spots and big pitches in big spots. And the Astros haven't really. I mean, ever since the Yankees started to fall off, they didn't even have anything really to play for in the regular season. They've coasted through the postseason to this point up until game one, like you said, of the World Series. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's it's certainly plausible that they, um, you know, maybe are a little bit out of, out of uh, practice as far as hitting and pitching in big spots. Not that they don't have the guys that can do it, but the Phillies for the last nine months have been – uh, basically, uh, you know, on their last leg, trying to come up with hits. And, and that's what you saw in game one, right? They, that's just what they do. And they had to, they're forced to for 162 games plus the postseason, right? It's been probably almost 180, 190 games where they've had their backs against the wall. They fired their manager. They had to rally and, and come up with whatever they could. They're just a grinded out team like that. And, and the Astros have the capabilities to do that, but they haven't had to. And, and for, a long time, you know, since last world series. And so I think there's something pretty, something to be said for that, you know, something to be said for the fact like you just said, Sean, that they didn't lose a game up until game one. And, and when they had to, you know, face that spot when they're in that spot and they're, they're Phillies are clawing back and they go to extra innings, right. It's maybe not something they're accustomed to doing coming up with quality at bats in, in really important spots. And I'm like you said, I, I absolutely agree that the Astros look better on paper, but like I said before, there's five more games and whoever wins more of them uh, is going to be the champion. And the sort of grand scheme, broad scale talent is less and less important. The fewer games that, that remain. Everything you just said right now just got me so pumped up. 
Like, let's yeah. go. Obviously, you know, I think <laughs> the entire baseball community, any fan from outside, is rooting for the Phillies right now. Like, fuck the Astros. Only their fans are rooting for them. And honestly, they like, they fucking cheated. They fucking cheated in 2019. And they got back here in no time. They've been competitive. And it's like, it's like it didn't even matter. And right now, the Phillies are this ginormous underdog who have had to claw and fight their way back. And they are, they're embodying the city of Philadelphia right now. Like, you guys need to fucking win this, all right? Like, yeah, we're all but like, For oh, sure. Man, like, if the Astros win, I, I don't know how much faith I'm going to have in the community. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people I mean, agree. Yeah, a lot of people are definitely rooting for the Phillies. One thing I noticed, too, is just, like we said, Syndergaard starting game three hasn't made a start since game, either game three or game four. Uh, it's, it's been two weeks since he's made a start and a whole week since he's appeared. I'm curious to see if there's any, if there's going to be any rust there. I'm not saying there's going to be, I'm just wondering. Um, he's not, is he not normally in the postseason rotation or what, what's the. He hasn't been. He's been yeah. For, he's been coming out of the pen. Um, okay. So he's what coming about back from injury too. Oh, gotcha. Cause right. I know Ranger Suarez is starting some games. Um, yeah. He's going to start game four. Okay. Yep. And then send um, Obviously, Wheeler and, and, and Nola. Kind of odd to see Wheeler not pitch well just because he's been so dominant this postseason. But it was so crazy how the Astros were able to jump. First pitch, double. Third pitch, double. Fourth pitch, double. Or no, first two yep. pitches were doubles, and then the fourth pitch was a double. And like that, yep. it was 2 nothing. And then the shortstop made the error, and it was 3 nothing in the blink of an eye. But when I was watching that live, I was like, ah, oh, like that's light. Like the Phillies came back from 5 nothing the other day. Uh, they could definitely do that, but Valdez is just too dominant. Um, and uh, I, I want to get you – were you, were you – um, I wasn't able to watch either of these games live, but I check out the highlights. When Diaz um, leaned into the pitch, did you immediately know that that was going to get called or did oh, you think it hit him? I was hoping. I was hoping. I, <laughs> I, I was uh, – the first thought in my head was the memes that were going to come out the following day because I just thought that was hilarious, mm-hmm. but – and he did it the pitch before. He tried to at least the pitch before, and it just missed him. And when I yeah. saw it immediately, you know, that's a call that you almost never see called. But I, I, I knew in the moment it had to get called. I mean, it was it was pretty blatantly obvious. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. Um. Uh, any uh, other la- I, one thing about the Astros? I know Sean like talking about them cheating and stuff, and I totally understand that. But like the fact that they lost Correa. And now they have Jeremy Pena, who's been an absolute star this postseason. It's just crazy, and it says a lot about their front office and their ability to draft and, and breed young talent. Because like when they lost Correa, I was like, oh, like the Astros, they're not going to be good anymore. They lost Springer, and they lost – you know, they're losing their core, and that's what great – in the salary cap era, you have – you know, in the, the modern era of sports, you're going to lose players and, and, and coaches and, and front office members to other teams. Uh, and the fact that they're they're able to replace and and Kyle Tucker and Chad McCormick and, and stay relevant, not even only stay relevant, but make their third World Series in the past four years, and then their fourth in the last seven or six or something like that, is just unbelievable. And and as much as I don't want the Astros to win, it's still impressive um, what they've been able to do. Oh, up, absolutely. Go ahead, Sean. Shut up. Stop praising them. <laughs> no, I think he's right. I mean, I think people definitely substantially undervalue the importance of culture and, and management and front office. And, you know, I think you see this with a lot of the sort of blue blood, blue blood franchises, 
the Yankees have done this for a long time. It hasn't really equated to postseason success recently, but they're able to plug guys in that you wouldn't think are going to get the job done. And they just do because they have that culture. They, I think the Red Sox did that last year to a pretty significant degree and, and maybe not yeah. uh, nearly as much this year, but that was a team that I looked at on paper and I was just like, you know, they don't really match up, but you just had the feeling throughout the whole 162 games that they were just a better team than they looked like um, on baseball reference. So I think the Astros definitely fit into that, uh, into that category of a team. And I think Dusty has a lot to do with this, that everybody knows their role. Everybody knows how to do it. And everybody's good at it because that culture is so strong. And I, and I put a lot of credit on the veterans on that squad and the management to be able to do that. Right. I, I would not be surprised if, you know, and again, I, we can talk about the Astros, you know, for days and, and I don't want to necessarily go down that path, but I look at guys like Altuve, you know, a lot of the pitchers as well, Verlander and Maldonado, a lot of the guys that I would not be surprised if they're having a lot to do with the success of those young players. Um, and I think that's been a theme over the last couple of years. We've seen the nationals certainly had, you know, that veteran and, and young player balance, right. Where we could see a lot of those young players blossoming because of the culture, not necessarily guys that were producing on the field, but guys like Howie Kendrick, Adam Eaton, Kurt Suzuki, that you could probably, it would probably be safe to assume that they were having a pretty significant impact on, on the production of players around them. And that's, you know, something that I think the Dodgers have struggled with over the last couple of years. And I personally have not really seen them as a world series favorite um, over the last five, six years, because they don't really perform in that way, right? They have a lot of talent on paper, but it seems to me the management and the players within the organization haven't really been able to get the most out of the other players around them. And that's something we talk about in every sport besides baseball. And I think it's time that we start bringing that to, um, to the diamond as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I see what you mean because you know, it seems like with the Dodgers, they just try to sign all these stars to big contracts, but they don't necessarily mesh perfectly. Also, I think they're extremely talented and I think they've been incredibly unlucky the last five years to only make two worlds or whatever it is like to only win one world series in that time span i think it's as much incredibly unlucky as it is also like what we were what you were just talking about um and speaking of real quick uh sean do you have any other questions because i just have one last like thought um yeah yeah but you can go first though okay i was, I was just curious if we think the phillies are sustainable in the long run because obviously the Nationals, that 2019 Nationals team, was not. You could see right away they had to pick between Rondon and Strasburg. They picked Strasburg. Most of their roster, that World Series roster, was gone within the next year or two. The Braves, of course, only won it last year. They, um, they were great this year, amazing. Just happened to get bounced by the hot Phillies. Um, but do we think this roster as constructed is going to be able to make a bunch of more postseason appearances and even a World Series appearance in the next five years? That's a great question. I have my doubts, but I also think that they have a – I want to hear you have to say first. Well, there's there's three things that I think I look at organizationally that people tend to undervalue when it comes to postseason success. And they're pretty unique and niche things. But I look at manager, defensive catcher, and strikeouts, right, putting the ball in play. And those are three things that the Phillies do outstandingly well. And I was concerned – about Robbie Thompson, obviously a rookie manager had never done it before. And I have no reason to believe he's anything less than a, an 
A-tier manager right now. Um, I mean, he's doing an incredible job building that culture and getting those players playing to their full potential. So when I look at JT behind the plate, there probably isn't another guy, and Maldonado is up in that in that class as well. And I think it's not a coincidence that they're matched up in the World Series. But I look at JT behind the plate. Robbie Thompson's doing an incredible job in the dugout and and the ability to put the ball in play. Something that they've done for the last two decades. Uh, a team that is very anti analytics and, and really values contact and I think those are three things that do equate to that sustainable success that you're talking about and I also see them as a team that's ascending right I I think all Phillies fans are certainly most of them are surprised to even see them here and or even looking into the future um, and not necessarily thinking about 2022 and we're excited for what was to come I think they're a team that's still willing to spend I think they're a team that you know is is certainly aging but not nearly at the point where they're going to fall off you know, as far as, uh, as far as their age. And, you know, I think the Braves, the Nationals, you know, maybe the Braves to a lesser degree, but the Nationals are, are sort of an organization that I think would settle for a World Series and then, you know, maybe take a little bit of a, of a complacent approach going forward. And I think the Phillies, you can tell, you know, in Philadelphia, that fan base, they're hungry for more. Uh, I think if they don't win the World Series, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to, uh, to get back here as quickly as possible. And if they do, you know, and, and you also look at guys that are going to stick around for a long time, right? Harper is, I think, the heartbeat of the franchise. He's going to be here for the next 10 years, presumably. You know, you look at a team like the, the Nationals. I mean, Juan Soto was, was probably the leader emotionally of that organization. He's no longer there. You didn't really have anybody that you could count on to stick around long term. Freddie Freeman was, I would argue, the leader of the Braves last year, he departs after uh, the, the following season, right? So when, you, when you're looking at maintaining that culture, which I think is the, the primary reason why the Phillies are having the success that they're having, and you look at the guys that are going to be sticking around, you know, I think it's, it's definitely easy to see a path for uh, them to not only continue the success, but even build upon it. I like that. One thing I thought was interesting, just watching the postseason from afar, someone that doesn't really watch is like, Bryce Harper has been obviously been Mr. October and it feels like the Phillies have been kind of riding his wave of like his hot streak. Whereas I feel like for the Astros, their best players or at least their best hitters are Altuve and Alvarez. And they haven't done, they basically haven't done shit for the entire playoffs, except for in game two, they really stepped up in game two and had a classic performance. So like, Alvarez is really good early, but as of late, yes, as of late, I would agree with that, but Alvarez was unbelievable in the Mariners series. That's true. That's true. So, uh, just give me like an X factor, Dan. If you can come with one too, for maybe for both uh, teams. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I will say that Alvarez was a little banged up over the course of the regular season, so I was I was curious to see what he would be like in October. Um, Daniel, if you have one, you can go. I want to give that mm. some thought. Uh, as far as from the hitting end. Um, let me look at his game one stats because his game two stats. Um, okay, so you had two hits in game one and zero in game two. But for me, I feel like when the Astros are clicking, it's because first baseman Yuli Gurriel is really has been is really good, and he's two for eight, which is not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Two fifty, but he in the past has hit at the top in the middle of the order, hitting sixth right now. Some of the guys get on ahead of him. He can launch the ball deep. You know, he's a home run hitter. Um, I feel like for him, if he is on, 
I think the Astros are really good. And then as far as the Phillies go, um, not – it's interesting because they have, like, the four or five at the top of the order. But I kind of look at, like, Bohm or as somebody who can be really clutch at times and then kind of disappear at other times. Um, but a pretty solid defensive third baseman. So I'd say two guys in the middle to the bottom of the order, Bohm and, and Guriel are the two guys I've kind of been looking at. For me, I mean, I, I thought about Segura a couple weeks ago, I think. You know, I was just thinking of him as a guy that really elevates in the postseason. But I trust him to do that. I have confidence he'll continue to do that. For me, it's probably JT Ramuto. I think I think that he's somebody that I look at and seems to be a little bit emotionally volatile. And I'm not sure how that's going to play out in the World Series. He's never been here before, um, defensively and offensively. I think he – I see him take a lot of pitches off mentally and emotionally, which is not something that – bodes well in October, obviously, but obviously when he's on, he's, I would argue, a top 10 baseball player in the world. Um, you know, I think that he's a guy that, like we saw in game one, certainly come up with a big hit in a big spot, but a guy that's really balanced. And I think that's something that is really important in the, in the postseason, especially, right? You got Harper and Schwarber providing the power. You have Segura, you have Stott, you have Boehm uh, at times prevent providing uh the base runners. And I think he's a guy that can do both. And I think that's something that you need because um, he's going to come up in big spots. We know that he's going to come up in big spots um, throughout the rest of the postseason, throughout the rest of the series, I should say. And I think whether he's mentally and emotionally there or not is going to be massive for the Phillies. And I think he's a guy that could let the moment get to him in that way. And, and I would hope that it doesn't, because if it doesn't, I think he's one of the best players in the game. And then for the Astros, I would say Ryan Presley on the back end. I think that, They've, pr- they've had uh, a lot of pride in their bullpen over the last couple of years. I think it's been a big part of their success, but they haven't really found since Roberto Ozuna left uh, or was suspended. Uh, they haven't really found a, a dominant closer. And I think the Phillies, like we said, are a team that they fight, right? And they, they string together base runners. They find a way in the most difficult of spots. And so if you have a guy like Presley that's able to, to shut that down and particularly – get some swings and misses because I think if the Phillies are able to put the ball in play, they just make good things happen. Um, but if Presley can rack up the strikeouts, get some swings and misses and, and keep the ball um, out of play. you know I think that'll be huge for the Astros. And I, and I think that again, the Phillies are a team that especially late in games, we saw it in the Cardinal series. If there are guys on base, they're going to find a way to get them in. And I think Presley's the guy that I trust the most on this Astros team to not only stay strong physically right and be able to come up with big time pitches but emotionally and mentally as well in those huge spots in late October and even November right I, I look at guys like Ryan Stanek you know guys like um, even Framber Valdez that are really really talented pitchers and you know I just I, I just haven't seen it right in big spots but Ryan Presley is a guy that I know is capable physically and has been in big spots mentally and emotionally as well and so I think if he's able to uh, maintain that in big spots. I think the Astros should be a, in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, I like that you went pitcher because Presley, seven games, zero earned runs, four saves. So definitely saw on the back end, partially the reason that they've only lost one game this postseason. I would, uh, I would agree with that as, as well. Um, yeah, anything else? That was good. Uh, that was good. That's a good. That's a good segment. I, I enjoyed uh, talking about the World Series. Sean, you got anything else? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it. We could probably start talking about football okay. after this. Okay. Yeah, we got game three on Halloween. Ooh, spooky. Um, 
803 pitch first pitch or something like that yeah i feel like yeah. wait what's the schedule we could probably get another uh so how long monday is... monday monday tuesday wednesday because games two through five are in philadelphia um and then they would take probably take thursday off and then friday saturday would be six and seven in houston that's normally how they do it i, I can look it up that's that's almost without fail uh how they how they do it um so if it goes to like game six or game seven, I'd say we could probably have a special and get you on again, Tristan. Okay. Or, That's true. or after after the series ends, we'll probably could have unlearned talk sure. about it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I think I think this well, I, I won't give a, a, a pick, but I think that this the series is going back to Houston. I don't think it's gonna end in five. Like we will oh, see yeah, I would agree. games later in this week. I would certainly hope so. And I agree. I, I think I uh Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think that would be amazing for the sport. Yes, of course. Okay, all right. That was perfect. Uh, that was good. Um, Want to talk some NFL? We normally um, we normally talk about some of the more important games. We analyze those, um, and then we look at some fun memes from the week of NFL, uh, and then maybe we'll touch on NBA, uh, and then we'll call it uh, call it a pod. Um, so with NFL, crate. We talked last week here on the pod, Tristan, about how last week was kind of sluggish and boring. Some of the better teams were on a bye. Um, even the good games were blowouts. But I thought this week, I found this week to be very entertaining. Um, what say you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really perplexed and surprised about sort of the up and coming teams that we didn't expect having success early. Um, I think it appears to me that defense is down a little bit this year you know I, I don't know if I've maybe have the data to back that up but um, I'm seeing a lot of blown coverage a lot of um, missed tackles and more so than usual I, I think that you know I don't know I can't really say it's early in the year anymore but I feel like early in the year we see a lot more of that and I think it's sort of seeped into the the mid uh, middle of the season something that we don't normally see and I'm curious to maybe know why and, and see, you know, I think there's a lot of new coaches this year, which might have a lot, a little bit to do with that, but um, yeah, really entertaining games. And, and I think that defense has to tighten up a little bit across the board. It's, it's interesting too, because last week we were, we were saying that the offenses were also bad. Oh, really? As a whole, we were saying that, you know, there's, I feel like this past couple of years and up to now, you've kind of seen the, the change in the generations, especially, of well, obviously we know it's a quarterback-driven league. Um, you know, Mahomes, Allen, I guess you could include Hurts. Hurts. Uh, I, I, know it's, I know it's a small sample size, but... Um, Ellinger, Sam Ellinger, don't forget about Sam. Sam <laughs> Horns. Um, <laughs> you know, just a Herbert, and you know he hasn't been great this season, um, but just a rise in the young quarterbacks. Of course, not the 2021 quarterbacks, because they have been, all been terrible. But then you're also seeing the sharp, sharp decline of the greats like Rodgers and Brady um, and then Breeze, you know, retiring a couple of years ago, Peyton much, much earlier than that. But the rise of the young guys and the dramatic fall of some of these young uh, old superstars, um, that's what we kind of were looking at. Um, but I, it, it's, been, it's been kind of a weird season. People have been complaining that it hasn't been the best quality football. I think also just too many flags. The rest are throwing too many flags. Um, yeah, way yeah, yeah. too many flags. Just unnecessary stuff. Did you see the one today in the um, Rams-Niners game? We'll, go, we'll talk about that game. But where I Allen Robinson like, signaled, he signaled the first down 
and he got called for a taunt. I did not see that. I did see the pass interference on Patrick Peterson late in the uh, in the Cards Vikings game, which almost cost uh, yeah. the Vikings that one. So that was that yes. looked like pretty good coverage to me. I don't know, but yeah. And then you got the roughing the passer and all that stuff. But in terms of games, I want to start with so Sean picked his survival. So we're eight weeks in. We're gonna reset just because it's uh, we want to be able to talk. We don't want to have to like stay silent. So this is the last week where we can't reuse any teams. And so Sean ended up picking Falcons as a survival over the Panthers. And boy, what a football game that was. Wow. I would say game of the year candidate. What a game. Yeah, Sean was tweaking, sitting in this chair right here, looking at the TV. He was tweaking all over the place after that Hail Mary. Sean, give us some insight into that uh, into that game. I don't I don't know if you call it a good good performance, bad performance. It was just stupid shit was going on, but it was also like kind of awesome. Um, DJ Moore dropped a catch. Was that a catch on was on fourth down? It was at no, least on the, it was at least on. I can't remember if it was on fourth down, but it was on the drive before the hail mary, and he dropped the ball, and it pretty much costed them the game for the Panthers. And then he catches that hail mary, and it's like, what are the Falcons doing? What? How, how does? How do you let that happen? And TJ Moore's just celebrating. He's getting hyped up. It's the big moment of his life. You know, he's he hasn't gotten the ball all season. Finally, he gets this opportunity. He drops the ball. And then he makes up for it and gets that Hail Mary. And it was it was insane. Um it had me sweating, you know, because my fal- I picked Falcons as my survival pick. And I was talking them up last week. Um and he took his helmet off, got a penalty. <laughs> then then, you know, the Panthers kicker's complete poverty. That guy's losing his job. Um he missed the extra point, then he missed the field goal in overtime. I also feel like taking your helmet off, the I don't know, the, the post-celebration touchdown, like you gotta get rid of those flags. I feel like that kind of even though that helped me because I could talk on the podcast for the first first five minutes, I feel like that took away from the spirit of the play, the fact that he was penalized after making really the play of his career. Yeah. I mean he 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 was in the end zone when he took it off and then like the rule I are when you're still on the field, you can't take off your helmet while the play is still. But interestingly enough, if you call a timeout, right? Are you? Are, I don't know. I actually don't even know this. Like, if a team calls a timeout and you stay on the field and you're in the huddle, can you take your helmet off or no? I don't. I, I don't so. understand. I, I you can't. So. Well, because can. the touchdown. But isn't it when you score a touchdown, like the play is dead? Or isn't it the same thing as the play being dead? <sighs> I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, just, too, too, too much rough ball. Too much rough ball is the, 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 yeah. the answer to that. Also, Trista, I know um, it's getting a little bit late for you. So whenever you want to, you know, feel free to leave oh, whenever you true, want. Yeah. Obviously, we really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. No worries. I will yeah, say, I would, I would just like to yeah. say real quick, all around the topic, how good was PJ Walker today? That was uh, putting up 34 great. points. I mean, I, I know the Falcons defense is not, is not, exactly, uh, is not exactly a steel curtain, but – I, th- I was really impressed with what I saw from him. And I think, I think Ellinger played well too. It was certainly not nearly uh, to the level that PJ Walker did, but that was, that was really something. I think there's something to, uh, to be said for coming in and making big throws and big spots. Obviously the one to more late in the game, that was, that was pretty special. And I think that he definitely earned himself at least a, another couple of starts. I would say, what do you think? Mm. 100%. Yeah, I mean, he, he, oh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, shitbag Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold backing <laughs> you up. I mean, there's no – but also, I want to say – Daniel was saying, Daniel was saying uh, during the game, 
like, wow, the Panthers, you know, they took out Baker Mayfield, they took out Sam Darnold, and now they went from a team that was consensus as like the worst team in football to some a team that's actually confident and can be, you know, in a close game and can be competitive, which was hilarious. Yeah. And they were almost first in division. They were literally yeah, literally kick her away from being first in division. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, like that's the craziest part too. They also got rid of their coach and their defensive coordinator, I think one of the coordinators. That definitely helped as well. But getting rid of McCaffrey somehow, I mean, I understand. I say this all the time. I, I don't know how often on the podcast, but I say it all the time. Like, don't pay your running backs big money. You, you, you could get a better one in the fourth round of the, of the draft the next year than you, than you will paying your guy. It's just not a position to me that you want to spend a lot of money on. Um, I, I, I don't know if um, that's like the, the thing I would do if I was a general manager, but yeah, PJ Walker was pretty good. I would say that Hail Mary throw, honestly, if you rewatch it, was one of the throws of the year. Fading to his left, zings it 60 yards down the field, right on target. Now, granted, someone on the Falcons should have been in that area. There's no way that should have that should have happened. But the fact that he was able to get that, it reminded me somewhat of that Rodgers throw against Arizona where he was fading to his left yeah, and yeah. threw it up there. And it was a dot, absolute dot. Um, yeah, so that was crazy. But the fact that Carolina was almost leading the division with three wins at three and five was crazy. But uh, Tristan, what, what do you think? Do you think Atlanta at this point almost has to win this division by default? We, we, we saw what happened to the Buccaneers. No, I don't. I think the Bucs will, will end up right no now. Way. No way. I think Atlanta's okay. defense is one of the worst I've seen in a long time. And uh, I think late in the year, it's going to start to – the offense is going to start to slow down a little bit when the other defenses tighten up. And I, I don't think they have – I don't think they have the defense to, to keep up. I mean, that argument does have a lot of merit to it. Also, the fact that the Falcons should have actually had another game on the Buccaneers, the Phantom Grady Jarrett rough in the passer call, kind of cost in that game against Tampa Bay uh, earlier this month. And if that game went a different way, I would say I would guarantee a Falcons division. But the fact that, you know, it was called differently it gives me a little bit more hesitant. But I feel the same way about a different division, which we'll get to later in the, in the podcast where like the team that's not leading the division will end up winning the division. Um, it's, it's just NFC West, but, um, but yeah, no, I, right now as constructed, it looks like the, the, the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the division, but I mean, have you, yeah, Tampa Bay, like their defense is okay, but I, I can't sit here and say, I watched watching their offense that, that, that that offense can win you the division <laughs> what are, you, what are like, you talking about they got they got oh wait wait are you talking about you're talking about Atlanta right no I'm talking about um I'm talking about the Bucks. oh yeah no they, they, suck. they can't they run suck. the ball yeah no they can't run the ball they can't do they can't they can't do anything so but it, it'll be interesting yeah also, I really liked from this game how we got a Kyle Pitts return because <laughs> as if, as if he yes, wasn't playing the last true. you know seven weeks he's probably my worst fantasy pick of all time this year I, I traded him like three weeks ago and finally has a big game um so if they can keep getting him involved in the offense i really like that obviously Mariota doesn't really throw the ball he threw the ball a lot today um mm-hmm. but both teams were doing a lot of damage on the ground and you, you know you're right yeah this, it was this, very much ground heavy this game had a little bit of everything had picks fumbles um so impact plays on defense a lot of running 
Um, even some passing, just a lot of yards in total from both teams. Went to OT. Shout out to Youngway Koo. He's just got ice in his veins, never misses. I don't know why the Panthers coach even tried to ice him. How could you ice someone with ice in their veins? Like, he's just like three for three. He's never going to miss in a big spot. Just that guy. Very true. Um, Tristan, uh, we, 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 we enjoyed having you. I, I know you, you, you want to head out real quick, but um, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. No problem. Take See care. you, man. Peace. Peace, sir. All right, so um, let's get to our next game. We're going to move on to the late window real quick, and we're going to get to Niners or Rams. And what did this game show? Kyle Shanahan just owned Sean McVay. He always beats every time he beats Sean McVay. I don't understand, you know, what happened last week. The Niners got absolutely obliterated by Kansas City at home. What do they do this week? They turn around and beat the Rams. They just own the Rams. It's unbelievable uh, what they're able to do against Los Angeles. Uh, I guess maybe other than the NFC Championship last year, which is really what mattered. But regular season, 49ers always picked them to beat the Rams. Um, but, yeah, obviously this was the Christian McCaffrey show. Uh, Sean, want to talk a little bit about McCaffrey? I mean, so, you know, broadcast said he was the first player, what, since – Walter Payton and Ladanian, Ladanian, this play, first player since Ladanian Thompson, and before that, Walter Payton, who threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, and caught a touchdown all in the same game. He yeah. was absolutely remarkable. He was the 49ers offense. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take a look at his stats real quick because this is an unbelievable day. So he had that 34-yard pass for a touchdown. He had 18 carries for 94 yards on the ground. And he had 55 yards with eight catches through the air. So in total, yeah. he's got what? Like about 200 yards of offense by himself. And the, the team only had like 350 yards of offense, you know? Jimmy G yeah. had a pretty great game. He, he was, you know, 21 for 25, 235, two TDs. Um, but I really enjoyed seeing Christian, like all the random stuff that Christian McCaffrey doing out there. I really enjoyed that. And that was missing last week. Um, and it'll be interesting to see going forward the opportunities he gets to shine as someone who's kind of been overlooked throughout his career because he's been on a bad franchise. I feel like mm-hmm. this is kind of a rare opportunity in football where you don't really see that. Like a star player gets traded to a good team. Like, yeah, you see that you see that a little bit with like, you know, once or twice a year. I feel like there's like Von Miller, for example, uh, last year. Um, and maybe Robert Quinn this year for the Eagles if he could start getting it going. But you don't really see too many star players traded during the season for football, um, unlike the NBA. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, Christian McCaffrey in some big spots, in some big moments, and I feel like he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was unbelievable, like you said. Um, but going uh, – exactly, because last week – he, he literally, I remember the broadcast team saying that he literally was reading the playbook on the flight over. He got traded on a Thursday and the game was on Sunday. And if you know anything about football, you know that that's not enough time to learn a playbook. And so, of course, he didn't quite get as many carries and as many touches as he normally did in Carolina. But today they just said, you know, fuck it, let's just give it to McCaffrey and, and, let, and let him do the work. And 
Yeah, he's not going to have that good of a game every game, but he just brings another dimension to this offense that's really much needed because, you know, Garoppolo, he's good, but you don't win because of him. You win, I don't want to say in spite of him, but he, he doesn't win you football games. And so this trade, although kind of egregious, just based on the value of running backs these days, in the short term, it could definitely work out. And I have the 49ers winning this division, despite what we'll talk about Seattle and the Giants game uh, coming up. But I got a quick little sell alert to Sean McVay. Um, it was a meaningless fourth quarter drive, and he kept in at Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup injured his ankle. And it looked really bad for a little while. And I was like, oh, you idiot. So um, uh, I, I was really uh, not happy about that. I mean, without Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, who the hell is he throw the ball to? Um, but it's looking to be not too bad of an injury, which is good. Hopefully that he's not out for a long time or at all, because that would be, that would be bad for the NFL. Such a good player. Um, but yeah, like it, it's the Rams and the Bucks almost go hand in hand, I feel like. They just cannot run the ball at all. I mean, it's the same story we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, exactly exactly what you said. Go ahead. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry, you were reading the stat line. But yeah, 21 carries, 56 yards, 2.7 average. Garbage. Um, (laughs) They're just not going anywhere, you know? (laughs) Like, they can't run the ball, they can't stop the run. And because they can't run the ball, they really can't throw it either. Um, just not a very good team this year. As for yeah. the, as for you know the 49ers, especially because Debo Samuel is out, Christian McCaffrey is even yeah. more important. And I feel like it's just another person to get the ball to and get the ball out of Jimmy G's hands. Like where he's that type of player where you don't really need Jimmy G to do a whole lot to get him the ball. Yeah, which is what I think is so valuable. Um which is why he's so valuable to the 49ers. Yeah, no, as far as Jimmy G goes, I'm not this, like, NFL expert by any stretch of imagination with formations and schemes, but it seems to me that Garoppolo is much better in against zone than he is against man because he, he has good eyesight in the sense that if he sees a zone that his receiver can just sit and dump it down to him, that's when Jimmy Garoppolo is best when he's getting people on slant rounds. Garoppolo seems down the sideline. Doesn't seem like that's his game. And adding McCaffrey, short passes, you know, swing it to the outside, screen game. Um, Like you said, without Samuel, he was even more important. But we'll see with peak McCaffrey and with Debo being healthy whenever that is, how, like, is the offense able to flow with, with those two? That'll be interesting to see. But just at the Rams, like you said, no run game. The, their second-round pick from just two years ago is probably either going to get traded. Uh, well, if that's the case, it's got to be really soon. Or, or, or he's just never going to play again. So you drafted a guy in the second round, Cam Akers, who's not playing for your team. They can't run the ball. Cup injured. Stafford was injured. And, you know, your two stars, Ramsey and Donald, haven't been as good as as advertised this season. Um, well, Donald's always a beast, and, and Ramsey, they're both always beasts, but, like, they haven't been winning them games like they, they have in the past. And they, I, can't, I think it all starts with the run game, personally. Yeah. Um, but they've just not been, not been good. They're not going to make the playoffs. The Rams are not going to make the playoffs. No, they're not. They're not. They have no chance. Um, unless things drastically change, but 
Speaking yeah. of sell alerts, I forgot to mention one. I didn't formally give him the sell alert. Eddie Pinero of Oh, 100%. Yeah. Sell alert. Get the, we'll get get the, the, well, I'll spam the seller a yeah. couple of times. I mean, like like I said, he, he I mean, cost him the division. Cost him a division. Yep. Um, yeah, Rams not making the postseason. And yes, Pinero is quite the sell. Um, all right, let, let's go move on to the next game. Um, next game we want to talk about is uh, what do we have here? Giant Seahawks. Okay, let's think of the NFC West. Um, yeah, what what up? Seahawks still first in the first in the West, baby. Yeah. What up? What up? <laughs> just like I said. Yeah, I mean they're good. They're good. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm never. I've never doubted that they're good. I just think, like Tristan said, with the NFC South, I have a similar feeling to the NFC West, where at the end of the day, the the uh, 49ers will take the division. But right now, let's talk about the Seahawks. Um, yeah, the Giants. I'm not gonna say the Giants are frauds, but like. The lack of offensive create, uh, not the uh, creativity, but the last lack of offensive explosiveness really hurt them in this game. Jones, like, he just doesn't jump off the page, <laughs> and that's not a detriment to, to Jones. Like, but one thing I notice is everything is a dump ball. There's there's no down the field passing game. Like people criticize Brady, Tom Brady. When he was with the Patriots, like, no, that, that pales in comparison to watching Daniel Jones play football. What's one, 176 divided by 17? Because he completed 17 balls for 176 yards. Average of 10, that's, that's, that's pretty low. 10 yards at completion, that, that's, not very, that's not very high. Um, maybe not as I – mean, maybe, maybe it's not exactly what I thought it was, but – and then with Seattle, Geno Smith, you've been, you've been wanting to hype up Geno Smith for a long time. Here's your chance. Dude, I'm going to hype him up every time he plays. Just, just look at him. Neutrino, Geno, the Neutrino Smith. Just another solid game. Nothing crazy. Uh, you know, 212 yards, two touchdowns, you know, six, um, 6.2 yards per attempt. That's not insane. He wasn't doing anything spectacular. He did have a, a couple of... Um, Nice throws deep down the field to lock it. I think one went for 33 yards. That one, that one was pretty nice. Other than that, he just kind of, he ran the, he runs the offense well, you know, when, it, when it's third down or second down and he needs to come up with a big throw, he does. And he plays within the offense. If, you know, it's PA bootleg, uh, he doesn't have anyone open. Most of the time he does, doesn't have anyone open. He runs with his legs. He gets the first down. Um, and that pretty, his first down, you know, running the ball pretty much sealed them the game um, on their last drive. And just the little, yeah. you just don't expect it, you know, because he's he's a decent player. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't he doesn't jump off the page like you said, like um, like you kind of wish Daniel Jones did, even though he doesn't. He just makes the solid play, and that right now that's all he kind of needs to do because he's playing these fraudulent teams, <clears throat> Giants, and. He just plays within his offense, and honestly, credit to Pete Carroll too, for, um, you know, establishing the run and just making Geno Smith look comfortable out there. I feel like a lot of his improvement has come through confidence, and it's the confidence in his offense, in his offensive line, in his wide receivers to get open, um, and what he's seeing in his plays, like the plays that they're calling, making it simple for him, and. It just he just kind of has this energy that he's given off right now of confidence of someone who's playing well, of someone who knows what he's doing, 
who's who knows he's going to be in the game, um, knows that his defense can get him stops. So all of these things are factoring in to him having a great season so far. And that's why the Seahawks are going to continue to be my prediction to win this division. It's because I trust Geno Smith to run like a solid NFL offense right now. Whereas Daniel Jones, mm-hmm. ah, I think, you know, a big thing for the Giants that you're alluding to is, right, the lack of explosive plays. They don't have that. Except unless it's Saquon Barkley, like breaking yeah. down the field, they don't really have any explosive plays in their offense. And when you don't, when you can't get those, everything has to be so methodical. Like you almost can't have any setbacks for a drive to work, right? You can't have a holding penalty. You can't have a delay of game. Um, you can't have a run for a loss. You can't have any of those things. And right now, and in this game, the Seahawks did a great job. They shut down the Giants' run game to like they averaged, you know two two and a half yards per carry that's not what they're accustomed to doing so when they didn't have that it just seemed like all the pressure was on daniel jones and you know, i mean what was he doing back there he's just you know twiddling his phones he was his hand was bleeding again today apparently someone texted me that which is just a staple for daniel jones these days also, but... something interesting else i know i'm sorry to cut you off but um, no, you're good, you're good. they did have two muff punts so yeah. the things like that, when you don't have explosive plays and you're just kind of relying on winning these one-score games, you kind of have to get lucky or not lucky. I would say they, they were just more prepared than other teams and more clutch in close spots. Or today, today they weren't. They had something go wrong with them. They muffed two punts. Um, so those little like tiny margins, they get emphasized when oh, yeah. you don't have any margin for error, you know? Right, that's a great point with the margin for error. The Giants' margin for error is so thin that anything – if they don't play the perfect game in their, their, their terms, that they don't have a great chance to win. And that's a good point. Also, their only touchdown of the day was set up by a fumble inside of – they basically got the ball with a goal to go because Lockett fumbled the ball inside his own spot. Yeah, and that was not a fumble. That was, that was not a catch. That uh, yeah, that, a was, like, that was a close call. I'm surprised that that, that – I think it's because they called it on the field. It was hard to overturn. You're saying because it's out, when his butt was down, it was still not out, but it, it was kind of moving. It was a tough call. It was a tough call. I'm not saying it was a terrible call, but back to the, back to the point, basically it's just they, 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 they had no offense there. They had zero offense. And then with Geno Smith, you know, Kenneth Walker didn't have that great of a game, but he's had an amazing season since Rashad Penny's come out. But he had that touchdown late to seal the game. Um, he's been a big reason why. It's just so crazy how in an increasing passing league, we're continually talking about the importance of running the ball. Um, and it seems reverse kind of this like a year, man. It seems like a, what? I said it's like the reverse this year. If you, <laughs> you running yeah, the ball yeah. is, is the most important. <laughs> it's the most important thing to winning right now. Yeah, which is completely counter, opposite. Counter, yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems counterintuitive based on what what you know the what the narrative is but it's definitely true um and seattle's at five and three they get a they get arizona in arizona uh buccaneers in germany raiders rams panthers niners will be a big game um chiefs jets Rams. but those like first four or five i mentioned are really really winnable games and they got a couple divisional opponents in the rams and um and cardinals which will be important games for them uh, but like I said, I just don't trust – like, for me, that division has a bunch of mid-teams. 
right? There's no team to me that stands out as a contender to make the NFC Championship game or make the Super Bowl. I think that's more in the NFC East than in the North. Um, but it's not, for me, it's not so much that I just don't trust Geno Smith leading this team to the division because he's got to play all these divisional opponents. And I just don't think, I just think they beat each other up and then and, and he's going to come out on the wrong side of it. That's true. It is going to come but down. They could definitely make a wild card appearance. Like I, I'm yeah. not saying they're totally out of the equation for playoffs. If they don't win the division, they could sneak into the seventh seed for sure. Exactly. So it's all really going to come down to division games, which for us is going to be yes. very exciting. Yes. Um, what other then, games do you want to talk about too? Oh, and then just one point real quickly. And, you know, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, but the Giants and Cowboys are going to get that five and six seats. So that leaves them only one spot. But then again, they also have to play each other again. And the Eagles have got to play each of them. And they have to play the Giants twice and then the Cowboys again. And then the Commanders are sneaky four and four. So that they could also beat each other up in one of those two teams. The Giants and the Cowboys could also, I could see sliding out at the end of the year, potentially. Not likely, but potentially. Right. Plus the way it's shaping out right now, it seems like besides the NFC East, the NFC West has the best chance to get a seventh seed. Yes. Um, a seventh seed uh, team because, you know, every, like you said, the Giants and the Cowboys most are right now shaping up for them to take up the five and six seed. And then all the other, the two other divisions, they, I mean, they're just competing for the division title. <laughs> like the Vikings are running away with it. I mean, What's the Packers score right now? What, how are they doing? Uh, they, uh, last time I checked, they were down 27. Yeah, they were down 27-10. Beginning of the fourth yeah, quarter, okay. they'll have the ball. So okay. that game's over. So, <laughs> so it looks like the Vikings are running with that division. Not very many good teams there. And then, yeah, I mean, the Falcons are leading their division with four wins and four losses. I mean, it's it's not yeah. looking great. Um. The other one I wanted, uh, I guess we could touch on this real quick, but then these are all NFC games. So I do quickly want to talk about the AFC as well, but Viking Cardinals, a solid game. Um, we had some very funny moments in the game. The, <laughs> the Vikings almost blew it multiple times. Um, you know, you had Kyler Murray coming off a, a new release Call of duty. Um, so you knew that was going to be a loss. I said it last week in the podcast. I said, bet on the Vikings. I want to see what the spread was now that uh, I can't see it here. Uh, Cardinals, Vikings spread. Is they won by eight? Oh, it was four. It was four. So they covered as well. So I was right. I hope you won some money on that. But I mean, Kyler wasn't terrible. He had the two interceptions, but he was kind of running for his life. The run game was not working today. Uh, man, he's good. The Vikings are six and one. Their only loss comes to you guys. Like, uh, maybe people are saying. The NFL is bad this year because it's very top heavy. And the right. top heavy teams, some of them, we don't even think are that good. Like, do, are the Vikings good? <laughs> okay. I will, I will say no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be rude. I, I'm sure any Minnesota fan is going to get extremely mad considering they're six and one. But think about the Kirk Cousins litmus test. I always go back to this litmus test. For Kirk Cousins, he only beats teams below 500 and he he really takes care of business at that he's really good at doing that you know he's he's a mediocre quarterback and then when it comes to being above 500 teams he historically has just not done that so for me i'm looking at this 
it's the perfect season for Kirk Cousins to have a great season because if everyone's below 500, then he's never going to have too many tough games. And we were looking at a schedule. The only team I think that was over 500 um, before I played them, obviously besides week one, was the Eagles where he lost. And then the games he's going to have coming up that have winning records are the or teams that have winning records are going to be what the Giants. It's only four teams, right? As of right uh, now. Yeah. So it was Bills, Cowboys. So they get the commanders and the Patriots are both four and four. But, but in terms of over 500, Bills, Cowboys, Jets, Giants. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, fourteen over. So we were, we were yeah. kind of joking around, saying, "Wow, like twelve and five, like only four yeah, more losses, four losses to go." Four, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I think that pretty much holds true, and it's kind of funny. I mean, obviously, they could prove us wrong by finally having some postseason success, <laughs> but but I'm looking at their, I'm looking at their team. <sighs> it's not, <laughs> it's not bad by any stretch, like. They, they have a very competent team, and honestly, it's pretty good. The only thing that's holding them back from elite status from, I think, any critic is going to be Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's true. But I will say, if you finish 12-5, and five, you probably get the two seed, right? Yeah, it seems like they're probably going to get the two seed right now. Yeah, and that means you get the seven seed at home on Wild Card Weekend, and then, I don't know, well, assuming they win, they, they could easily lose that game or to like Seattle. If they play Seattle in the playoffs, honestly, like that should honestly be an even spread because those two teams are actually more even than um, Niners, Seahawks. Uh, what another team that can slip into the seventh seed? Uh, I don't know if the Packers can figure it out. I don't know. Atlanta, whatever, whoever, whoever may get that seventh seed could easily give the Vikings a run for their money because they're so inconsistent. Like you were saying, they only beat teams over fi- under 500. Pretty much, pretty much, they, <laughs> pretty much. They, pretty much, they beat the Packers, who we've seen to be kind of frauds. They they got crushed by you guys. They it took a last second miracle against the Lions. They barely beat the Saints. The little double doink that just missed uh, in London. Barely beat the Bears. It took like a last minute turnover. Barely Wait, beat so, the Dolphins with their so those were all one. Those were all one score games, right? Uh, yeah. Every single win except that Week One win of theirs is a one. Okay. Win. Okay. So I think that's that's more validation to what we're saying because realistically, good teams would have would have blown some of those teams out. Would have would have won at least a couple yeah. of blocks. Whereas if every game you're winning is a one score game, that's just not a good look. I just don't. I can't feel yeah. too confident that your team is some dominant team. Like it's good and it's clutch. There's something to be said about you know handling adversity and winning one score games that's gonna you know help you make the playoffs but is it gonna mm. is it a sign that you could go deep in the playoffs uh, not really so right now the jerry's yeah. still out um but that's okay that's okay because they'll have ample opportunity to prove themselves that's that that is true with those tough games coming up they will have opportunities to prove themselves um as far as the Cardinals go, like I said, Call of Duty, I don't know. They're, they're, Hopkins has been great in the two weeks that he's been back, but just as a whole, it's just same old Cardinals post October, you know, post mid October. They're just under the Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray era, if you could even say that. It's just always inconsistency and, and not being able to string drives together and Kyler running for his life and the defense not holding opponents when they need to. 
And they just, ah, they just have, like the Cardinals are the team that you could see going 0-17, but also competing in every one of those games because they do have a lot of talent. They're not a talent. They're not the Texans, you know, they actually have a lot of talent on their team, but they just don't mesh together well. Like they're like the anti-you guys. Like they just don't mesh well together. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just really, I think it's really shown at this three and five record. Um, it's funny too, because I think, um, like what we said about the Vikings is really beaten to death about the Kirk Cousins litmus test. And I think every Vikings fan right now is probably upset because they're like, we're six and one, like stop making jokes about us. Like as if we don't belong, like there's only three really dominant teams in the NFL right now. Like let's say something, anything, any injury happens to the Eagles or the Eagles just don't play well in the postseason or, you know, choke or something. I mean, the Vikings are the next ones up in the NFC. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, not it, it's crazy to think about, but you're correct. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the NFC, but crazy enough, I was looking at the schedule. There was only three, like, games that were played between just AFC opponents. It was very much a, a week where a lot of uh, out-of-conference teams were, you know, from AFC team playing an NFC team. Two AFC teams on a bye with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Only three. Patriots, Jets. Patriots somehow took care of business. Zach Wilson sucks. Oh, dude, that guy blows. I, I, that think, guy the, I blows. think the jury's, the jury's out. out. The I jury's the, done. Yeah. We're going to have to do a segment yeah. on, you know, 2021 quarterbacks because we said it was everyone, including yes. us, said, wow, this is going to be, you know, the best draft for quarterbacks ever. And they all fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. Including yep, Zach including Wilson. my guy. Yeah, including Mac, Mac and Cheese, who's just mediocre, and Zach Wilson, who's the most, like, no pocket presence, this guy. I watched some of his throws in the beginning, first quarter. I'm like, Daniel, wow. You know, this guy, Zach Wilson, I've never seen I've never seen him make throws before. He looks okay. You know, he looks okay throwing the football. He has some arm talent. Then every time he's pressured, it's it's not even the Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. It's like he doesn't even want to see anyone in his face. Anyone who's like <laughs> within the vicinity of him, he just goes full like garbage mode and just full retard and just <laughs> i shouldn't even say that really um but i just don't know how else to describe it this man is just he just gets so scared i don't know if it's because he got injured earlier in the season or what but anytime there was pressure in his face obviously you know quarterbacks when there's pressure in their face it's gonna be less accurate but you don't have to throw an interception every time you're getting pressured like this guy He's just not the guy. And it's unfortunate because the Jets have taken such a such a big step up this year. But the quarterback, the jury's out. He's he's terrible. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, speaking of what you said about Zach Wilson, there's someone who tweeted it said, Zach Wilson is like if Patrick Mahomes played every game blackout drunk. He just throwing a sidearm like... when there's someone in his face that overthrows the guy. Interception, like every time. Or I'm gonna throw yeah, it out of bounds. I'm gonna throw it out of bounds. No, I'm gonna throw it right at the boundary, and so the corner can make a play on it and get two feet in. What are you doing? Yeah, that was terrible. And it's crazy to think too, because we've praised the Jets recently for their ability to win games despite Zach Wilson not doing anything. I think the Patriots do so well as they take away. You know, it's always cliche. They take away what you do best, and. Obviously, with the Brees Hall injury, the run game wasn't, you know, they traded for James Robinson, but the run game's definitely not the same without him. And the Patriots just, and especially in the second half, they just shut him down. They, they made Zach Wilson stay in the pocket and make throws, and he just couldn't do it. He just could not do it. He couldn't make the throws necessary. 
it's a terrible interception. And the Patriots went on long drives, kicked field goals. They did. They didn't do a lot, but they did enough to win this game by one possession. You know, a little garbage time touchdown, and the outside kick didn't didn't quite work out. But you're right. The jury is out on Zach Wilson with no Brees Hall. I just don't see it. I just don't see the the the, the future being with him. Um, but other games, uh, uh, the other AFC games were. Uh, what was it? Shoot, I had it right here. Uh, Titans, Texans, which uh, no. And then the last one was Broncos, Jaguars, which is also a big no in terms of talk about competency. Uh, yay, Russ. Yay. I mean, did you see what Tyler Lockett said? The, ju- the jumping jacks uh, worked, man. What are you talking about? All those jumping jacks he did uh, on the plane, it paid off. <laughs> Dude, but Russell Wilson, uh, we're going to get the meme of the week in a second, but is Russell Wilson's like the biggest meme of the 2022 season. You got Justin Tucker making fun of him after their win on Thursday night against the Buccaneers. You had uh, Tyler Lockett say after the game for Seattle, like it's crazy when one person isn't tra- trying to take all the credit what we can do, which is a direct shot at Russell Wilson. Um, you hear Richard Sherman has to say about Russell Wilson. You hear all his former teammates have to say about him when they leave. I don't know what it, what it is, but just like he just he's just he's just a meme. I, I, good for him for winning the game, but uh, I'm talking about, speaking of 2021 quarterbacks, oh god, Trevor Lawrence is some of the worst throws ever. Yeah, he, remember he when I said that. get him get Doug Pearson better quarterback, and you're like, you cannot say that this man is butt. Right. Well, huh? I just mean like he took him number one overall two years ago. Like, like I think you gotta you gotta let it play out a little bit. That's yeah, no, definitely agree. It was, I mean, it was completely hot take. But he is, he's terrible. He's terrible. Uh, I think I'm looking at, honestly, the way I'm thinking about it now, I think every year, um, you know, we look at teams who have success and we kind of change our philosophy on what's important and what's not, right? And I think when we're looking at quarterback now, for me, it's like, what can a player do really well? Like, what's what's their strength? What can they do that's an elite trait that's specific to them? And for a lot of these quarterbacks, I don't, <laughs> I don't see what any like elite traits. Yeah, you know what I mean, like I think for the best players, right? Honestly, I mean, Mahomes and Allen are completely all around studs. But even before that, they had the arm. I'd say arm talent, arm strength, was probably their biggest asset. And then for Josh Allen, also mobility on top of that, um, at an elite level, right? Lamar Jackson, mobile like speed, uh, ability to change direction, um, just running the football, elite. Jalen Hurts, the way he affects the run game right now, and because the Eagles are playing to his strengths, or because they're using that as a weapon pretty much um, to run their offense, he looks elite because he has that elite strength. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, you know, even Kenny Pickett, who I was watching today, like, what did they do? What's one trait that they have that I'm like, wow, like, that really stands out to me. I, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like for Trevor, like, Lawrence. You know, for all of those quarterbacks, I think they have some mobility, but it's not at a, an elite level, where I think the level is just getting even higher now for what athletes have to be. So, you know, Kenny Pickett being able to make an eight-yard run or an eight-yard scramble, that's not really anything special, you know? That's not really moving the needle for him um, to become an NFL superstar. And obviously right now I'm just talking about like physical attributes. 
I don't know. Is there anything like you when you watch these guys play, you're like, hey, like this guy does this really well. I don't really see that. No, I, I agree with you, but also I just started laughing, chuckling a little bit because as you were talking about that, Josh Allen made the special play where he was being blitzed up the middle by two different players for Sean Gary and I I can't see the other guy is, and he rolled left and floated up to the running back who went for 41 yards. <laughs> just, so just doing Josh Allen like, things. <laughs> as, as you're talking about QBs, you just don't make the, the, the wild plays. As that was happening, Josh Allen made this like really, really nice play. And but it's not, it it's not even the wild plays, though. It's, it's things that it's, it can be subtle, too. Like, for example, um, if you're a quarterback who can run something, I've noticed that some of them could be really good at. Instead of taking big negative plays for like 20 yards or tons of yards on sacks, they'll turn those plays into no gain, which I think what J- is, what is something that Jalen Hurts is really good at. You know, Zach Wilson took, you know, a 15 yard sack today. So it's like, all right, if you're not if you're not getting rid of negative plays and then you don't have those splash explosive plays, what are you adding? Like, what are you creating? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not. Yeah. You're not a creator. Not a not a yeah, it doesn't have the creator badge. There goes Josh <laughs> out. Oh, we can play. Um, yeah, speaking of bad quarterback, Aaron Rodgers has 74 yards passing in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh man, oh man, oh man. Um okay, yeah, we got to a good portion of the games and teams. Let's quickly do a meme of the week for both of us in the NFL. And then we're gonna quickly each touch on one topic in the NBA before we uh, call it a call it a pod yep that sounds good you could start with meme of the week okay so oh gosh i don't even know if i have one um uh, we already talked about the jets quite a bit let's see uh we, we talked about this game too but I, I i am a big fan of the call of duty meme uh so oh man dang josh i through another interception <laughs> shoot i mean it's not gonna cost the game's not gonna get cost by having my fantasy game is kind of a problem um but uh patrick peterson i don't know if he intercepted uh i think he intercepted Kyler murray and his celebration was the uh he, he got out of his hands as if he was playing video <laughs> games <with control. laughs> which is an all-time level roast of someone i know i bet Kyler murray is kind of sick of this cod stuff i'm sure we are blowing it out of proportion but it's just, it's so funny every time. Like, it'll never not be funny. Unless he, like, I guess he went to Super Bowl. I guess maybe it, it won't be plausible to make fun of him. But it's just, it's just so funny that it, and the clause in his contract that he needed to study film for X amount of hours. And then it came out that he loved playing video games. And for you as a <laughs> defender to pick him off and then mock him by, by playing video games, that's just poetic justice right there. I think what that's is, just amazing. Remind us, what did Patrick Pearson say at the end of the game? Uh, so they asked him what he did. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but they asked him what he did for um, his celebration. And he was like, ah, oh, like, like I got into the controller and started playing video games. But like, oh, apparently there's this game called COD. Like, you know, I, don't, I don't play it very much, but apparently, like, it's, uh, it's good or, or something like that. Or he and said, so like, he just, it just came out or something. Kyle Murray plays yeah, it a yeah, lot. It just came <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said Kyle Murray plays it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was, that was really good. The disrespect. Oh yeah, it's it's so. It's good. like he was. It's like he was listening to our podcast and just decided. Yeah, yeah. You know what? This is funny. Let me use it. Like I, I can just imagine the the grin that he had on his face when he was coming up with that in the shower. 
<laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, oh, God damn it, Josh Allen. Hey, what's your meme of the week? For me, I mean, the DJ Moore helmet one, I feel like it's pretty good just in the sense that all the Panthers fans got probably thought that was the player of the year and getting so high, and they still lost the game. Um, <laughs> something I, I enjoyed while watching the Eagles game was I thought it was kind of a meme. Every, the AJ Brown three touchdowns in a row of just him catching the same ball three times down deep down the right sideline. Jalen Hurts just chucks it up there. Some pretty good throws, by the way, um, on two of them. And AJ Brown just mosses like two people on the Steelers, whether it's Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, who is who is that guy? I, I call him defensive player of the year, but today he, I call him, you know, worthless. <laughs> I call him second place. Because that's what he looked like today against A.J. Brown. He looked like a boy going up against a grown man. And that theme of just A.J. Brown is a swole Batman, is a swole grown-ass man going against tiny-ass quarterbacks and just destroying them. I mean, you just saw that today. He even pointed it out after his second touchdown where he 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 did the Russell Westbrook and he like put his he put his hand down to signify that yes, those quarterbacks were indeed little, and I am indeed double in strength <laughs> as them. I am swole Batman. And on the third touchdown, he just kind of clowns both the Steelers' cornerbacks <laughs> after he catches it and points to both of them like, haha, both of you just got got like, you guys can't even touch me. I mean, the third one, the guy was draped all over him. They didn't call PI or anything, and he just still caught it like as if it was nothing. So to, for me, that was my theme of the week. AJ Brown realizing that he is swole Batman and that. Every defensive back is a little boy going up against them. <laughs> <laughs> that to me was yeah. pretty, pretty elite. Uh, it was so much fun seeing on my TV screen that he had caught a touchdown, but not seeing it live because you had it on your computer and just being like, oh my God, not, not again, not again. How's he going to score this time? Like, you know, we're there at the 30 yard line. It's got to be some deep bomb. And of course it was. And then, <laughs> yeah, that one where he gets the taunting penalty was really funny. Yeah, that was great. Um, what do you do? We want to quickly touch on NBA, NBA topic, or you want to just? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. for NBA, yeah. Well, it's you know, it's we're wrapping up the podcast. I think each of us, um, we won't really talk about NBA. We're just going to each talk about one observation that we saw from the last week that we thought is interesting that you should pay attention to. Um, so yeah, you want me to go? Yeah, you no, can go, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, okay. For me, it's Benedict Matherin shooting guard he's a shooting guard right he's like a guard for the indiana pacers he was their first round draft pick this year everyone was hyping him up he has been i know palo Ventura exists but he has been the best rookie so far and he is scoring let me pull up his stats real quick actually let me pull up his little basketball basketball reference he's scoring 21 points a game on 43% shooting from three on six attempts per game. Daniel told me when this kid was going in the draft that he was a slasher and that he was really athletic, and that's why the Pacers drafted him. No, he is a flamethrower who's going to score at will on your team. Um, and his finishing at the rim has been also been pretty good. Right now, he's just a scorer. And if he keeps this up at like near 20 points a game, I know 20 points isn't what it used to be, but he's becoming off the bench. So think about that. A rookie who's coming off the bench, averaging 20 points a game and shooting 43% from three. That seems like a pretty good first round draft pick. Um, This kid is exciting to watch. 
I just I'm I'm excited to see what he continues to do. Um, because if he keeps this up, he's gonna be the steal of the draft, even though he was drafted, you know, really high. People are gonna be asking why he didn't go number one. Because for me, it's the confidence for every time he's shooting. He's not shooting 40% from three off corner threes, off catch and shoots. No, he's pulling up in transition right now and just looking to shoot as if he's you know, everyone has the transition walk-up three right now because that's how skilled the NBA is. But he's dribbling fast in the spot. Like, he's running to an open shot with the ball each time, hitting step backs, hitting hesitation pull-ups, off the bounce, you know, creating in the pick and roll. That's something he can get a little bit better at, but right now in transition, he's just been an absolute beast. Um, so that's someone who, you know, the Pacers, are gonna, they're going to suck this year. Between Tyler Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, you should tune into some of those games because they could be pretty fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, with my observation on him, he played on a number one seed in Arizona, and they were pretty deep. And so he wasn't he, he wasn't scoring 20 points a game for them, but he kind of remembered for this one dunk he had in the tournament, um, which is what I based a lot of my opinion on. But I just don't remember him being like this elite three-point shooter that he's been so far this season. Um, right, yeah. and I think I think that's, that's one of the things where um, – I feel like a lot of success from players that go from college to NBA is usually when they're on a stacked team and they're overlooked. That happens so much where you underestimate the amount of skill that they actually have. And for Ben McMathen right now, he's not just a shooter, he's a scorer because he's getting to the line about five times a game. He's getting to the line, you know, more than any other rookie besides Ben Caro and more than any other rookie did last year, which to me just shows like this kid's going to be able to score the ball and, I don't know. Maybe he will keep this up because if you can get to the line, you're going to be a good scorer in the league. And he already has that down, so which is crazy. Yeah, I know. He, him and Ivy were the two where I was like outside the top five, or no, Ivy went five, but outside that top three that we've, you know, been raving, talking about ever since the draft order came out and ever since the draft, those are the two I really like. And they both done pretty good this season. Um, thank Mathern better, but still, um, and Ivy's been pretty good as well. But yeah, that that'll be interesting to watch. Um, there's definitely been a, a explosive rookies so far this season, and we'll see if that that ends up continuing. Um, I I quickly wanted to talk about something I noticed. I turned on Warrior Suns. It was a Tuesday night game on TNT. You know, I turned the TV on, and Devin Booker and Claire, you know, John at each other. Clay got ejected, double tech, which is kind of crazy because he's never been ejected in his career. He's been incredibly mid this season. Uh, but there was a play where um, I think the Suns had the ball, and I can't remember who exactly had the ball, but there's a new rule. You know how when, you know, the take foul rule? If yes, someone um, – there's a new take foul rule if uh, – is it from behind or just in general? Oh, it, yeah. There's, if, if you're doing a take foul with no intent on trying to swipe at the ball, it's basically the equivalent of, of a technical foul. Like, you don't get assessed a technical foul, but the player gets a free throw and the ball back, which I had no idea they changed that rule. And I'm fine with the rule because I understand if, if you're just hacking at a guy while he, uh, you know, when he's trying to get an open, trying to go down the floor and maybe even pass it down the floor to a guy open. But the play I saw in that game was Booker literally reaching in for the ball, fouling him, and then still calling a take foul, which is like didn't make any sense to me. And I guess maybe it was just me, that one play. 
But if the refs can't adequately call the rule, then it's going to be kind of a headache. Like, what if we're in NBA finals and and it's a close game late and someone does a take foul and, and the referee gives them a free throw and it's clearly not. Like, I'm just curious to see if the referees, if they'll get used to this. And because it's, it's very ambiguous. It's like, oh, did he go for the ball? Well, what I saw live might have been different from what you saw live. Like, I might have a different opinion on it. And so I, I'm just really, it's just a weird rule to me. And so, I get why they're doing it because they're trying to crack down on useless fouls. I get that. But. Yeah, so what's interesting about this is, A, I think it's a, it's a great rule in theory. And B, I don't understand why it'd be hard to implement. I, the example you gave me, I don't get how they could have screwed that up so badly. To me, it's pretty simple. I've watched take fouls so many times over the last five years where a player has just literally been wanting to stop a guy in transition or not want to go up and open layup. He doesn't want to hustle back. So he just, you know, fouls the guy in front of him. I I don't understand how that could be ambiguous. Like, it's so obvious. If someone's on a fast break and isn't moving their feet and it's just fouling the guy who's still dribbling the ball in like the half court or, you know, at the three close to the three point line, it, that's a, that to me is like a typical example of a take foul. It doesn't really matter to me if you're swiping at the ball or not. Like, it's pretty obvious if you're actually swiping at the ball or if you're just trying to foul somebody. So, yeah, no, I, we'll, so, see, we'll see what happens. It, agreed, agreed. Like, it has the potential for disaster, but also, like, it, this should just be a good rule that happened three years ago. I, I feel like this, sh- this should add something to the game because we want to see more fast breaks. We want to see um, more fun plays, honestly. And people get back on defense, yeah. but I feel like that, you know, that doesn't really happen. You, uh, the take foul was just, yeah, you, yeah. Did, you know, if you don't want to get back on defense, you just took a foul and then, oh, and then yeah. you still prevent a fast break. Like that, that's not fair to the fans. Yeah. I remember though, during the playoffs, how mad Van Gundy would get at stars. Take, right. This is like the Van Gundy rule. It's like, why? Yeah. Like he hated it because he was like, why? You're the best player on your team. Like, why are you giving, like, if you're in foul trouble, and you, you go from three fouls to four fouls because you took a dumb take foul early in the, in, in the first quarter, like, that can have very, very big ramifications for your team. Like, like is it really, like, it's one, it's one basket. Like, is it really worth it to do a take foul? I know in certain situations it might be, but not every time because then you're just going to get into the bonus. You're going to give the other team into the bonus. Right. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But the NBA season is very young. We'll get more into that um, as NFL starts to die down as well. And then we get the World Cup, which we'll be talking about. We'll get another guest on the pod for that. But as um, that's pretty much it, right? That's all we got? Yeah, I think that's all we have. Um, yeah, tune in next week for some more. But I think that's all we have for you guys tonight. Yes, uh, Triple Throne Hill 3. Well, TikTok, we got some some nice TikToks that'll come out there. Um, and uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, enjoy your Halloween and the beginning of November. See you guys. Our Steven Silas. <laughs>